Joining me, as always, are the Donald and Goofy to my Sora. Hey, I'm Jared. And I'm Matt. And first of all, this is the introduction to our podcast. We technically are recording this after we've recorded a bunch of other episodes for our first uh, season. But we wanted to come back and tackle this because we found we had a better grasp of how we were going to do the whole recording thing uh, now that we've done a bunch of other recording. Uh, so, uh, do you all want to chime in real quick before we uh, introduce what this podcast is all about? Just want to say hey from the end of Kingdom so, Hearts Game One, and I hope everyone's enjoying it so far. <laughs> well, no, this is uh, this is this is before this is before. Huh. Yeah, I know, but we're coming from the future. Oh wow! Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Spooky. But yeah, we wanted to take a moment to talk about our thesis statement of our podcast here. And we also wanted to talk about the first bit of epic story material that we are going to take you through. Basically, we just want to let you know who we are, what we're doing and why you should listen. So I'm going to start us off just with a general thesis statement slash overview of what our podcast is all about. And so I'm John. I'm sort of the asshole that's responsible for one of that. Blame him, not us. Yeah, blame me. Definitely blame (laughs) me. So the idea of this is that I love stories, especially the long running serialized kind. I find that in those kind of series, they really get to explore characters within an overarching plot. It's a lot more fun than just having this one off story. However, I often find a problem when I get into these into stories. The large ones tend to be what I call backlog killers. Adding one of these stories to your backlog has three problems. First, it becomes all-consuming, eating away at free time that could be spent with smaller-scale stories. Next, discussion around these stories tends to be far more divisive among existing fandoms, as you encounter a cacophony of voices telling you which parts are the best, which parts to skip, and how you should feel exactly the way they do, even as you try and form your own opinions about the work. Finally, when I attempt to get my own friends into the story, I find that they end up running into barriers that... Uh, are hard for them to overcome. So the impetus for this podcast was to solve all three of those problems. Our goal is to take on these backlog killers as a team, working together to create our own thoughts, takes, and jokes for these long-running series without the influence of the external fandom. And hopefully, in the process, we will help others like us who may want to tackle these series and get over those barriers. In short, what we want to do is we want to have fun talk about stuff we like and also take it a little bit seriously and critically. Yeah, we'd like to do a little bit of, you know, critical analysis of a lot of these stories, because I think that's kind of lacking. A lot of people engage with a lot of these stories on very surface levels. And, you know, like that's all all well and good. You can enjoy these stories however you want. But it's also fun to sit and kind of overanalyze a lot of these things, <laughs> to to put it uh, negatively, I suppose. And, you know, talk about why these works are popular and the space that they occupy in the cultural zeitgeist of, you know, nerd culture, Mm -hmm. which is kind of where we live. We we kind of originally pitched a lot of these 
a lot of this podcast as a nerd culture book club in a lot of ways. Well, basically, John decided that he wanted to be able to talk to his friends about stuff that we've been skipping. So he dragged us into this. Yeah, but more seriously, it's really fun to talk about stuff. I enjoy thinking deeply about fiction, never so much that I want to lock myself in or force me or other people down a path. But I like talking about things often at length. And even with people I know know it, I often exhaust them. So there's a lot of joy in just getting a chance to just dig into something, show it all the love it deserves, and then play around with it a bit. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think a lot of us, uh, or a lot of our impetus for this is that we're all kind of media nerds in some way, but we we don't get a chance to talk about these things in a positive way way mm-hmm. unless we just sit down and do it. And so right. this podcast is our way of talking about a lot of these things in that positive way. And when we when we have these kind of dialogues, we also want to approach it in a in a good in a good way as well because we mentioned that we don't like the fandom that insists that everything be this particular way, right? Right. right. So we might have our ideas about these games. But or these these pieces of media, because we don't want to necessarily limit ourselves to just video games, but we want to, you know, have dialogue about these games in a way that welcomes new ideas and new interpretations and new takes. Because Mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is, when we have these these this literature, we can never really have a true answer. Not even if we get the authors coming in and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what I meant because we have that whole hairy death of the author thing, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to take a look at all kinds of different theories and our own takes and talk about other people's takes, but not necessarily be hugely negative about it, right? So now my goal would be, I always want to... If I come up with off the wall, silly ideas about something, I want to talk about them, but I don't want to make them like overtake my only thoughts. I still want it to be fun. Go ahead. Yeah. I want to have fun talking about stuff. I also want to like dig in deep into the weird things that I personally really like that no one else in any other fandom would possibly know. I think that both kinds of things are very fun to talk about in media. I've always just like for me, I've never been able to have that experience of water cooler talk. Because I like a lot of really obscure stuff. Yeah, and honestly, as Jared was saying a little bit earlier, we want to have fun with kind of out there ideas and interpretations, but we don't want to turn them into like a hot take that this is the truth about it. You know, we don't want to be the whole Sans's nest thing, right? (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, no. Um, If we at at any time in our series, if. If we express some bizarre out there fan theory, which we have a couple in the in this first season, um, just know it is literally just uh, us making cracking wise, making a joke, having a goof. It's not intended to be taken our, seriously. <laughs> our aim is to, to, to say the ideas that tickle us, the ideas that, you know, we've spent a little bit too time making our own little web of on a wall for, but never, ever try to say that we're definitely the ones who are right. Right. And. Um, Honestly, if you are listening to this podcast and you like what uh, we have to say, we would love to hear from you as well and hear your own opinions. This book club is not just between the three of us. We hope to be with everyone else who's listening to it. Yeah, we want to take people's uh, suggestions and ideas into account. You know, if we get uh, any 
if we get any really good feedback as we're recording these things, we might, in fact, go back and discuss some of these ideas later on. So I guess before we uh, go on to introduce the our first series, um, I really would like to just like give a better self-introduction of who we all are. So as I said before, I'm John. I'm an existence which can only be sustained through watching others enjoy what I have enjoyed. And therefore, I am the one responsible for the idea of this podcast, as I said before. If you send help, you might still save us. <laughs> <laughs> I love taking long vision quests with entire series of games, anime, and visual novels. And if I like them, I try and find people to discuss them with. I am moderately obsessed with esoteric mysticism, morbidly fascinated by human psychology and human conspiracy theories and how both tie into how we interact with narratives. And I am absolutely 100% a mark for schmaltz. <laughs> I am also a sap, I have to admit. And I definitely have more to know a little bit of that myself. So, hi, I'm Jared. I am just the prototypical obsessive reader, obsessive gamer, obsessive surfer of random information, facts, shows. So I'm just a walking database of pointless information. I enjoy, as I said, thinking about things as hard as possible to the point that you will completely lose track of where I was. But I promise there was a line between point A and point B. I can be a bit scatterbrained, which exacerbates that problem. I'm easily distracted, and I can have a really hard time finishing things without motivation. It's best with this structure, so, you know, this project is hoping to help me buckle down. And I basically gave John the idea, so you can, even if it is his fault, I guess I'm deep down at the bottom of the cause. <laughs> and I'm Matt. I'm a fantasy nerd, a lifelong gamer, and a serial overthinker, as I like to put it. I love lore, much to John's consternation, and I end up agreeing, agreeing with a lot of John's ideas in the end, but I tend to come at them from a slightly different angle. I'm a bit of a STEM lord at, type at heart who somehow avoided the toxicity endemic in, the, in that kind of community, and I also have an interest in the humanities and liberal arts, while I believe both of my co-hosts are a bit of the other way around who came to a lot of, you know, the STEM stuff. Uh, from uh, from a slightly different angle uh, of of you know liking the humanities and liberal arts and wanting to understand the STEM stuff around that, but in the end, I think we're all a bit of the so-called Renaissance man type archetype. And like John, I tend to I try to be earnest to a fault. Both me and Jared were discussing similar ideas for discussion podcasts with John at the same time, and we ended up merging them. So I think we all share a little bit of culpability here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of a weirdo, but I generally pass for a normie mm -hmm. overall. And that's kind of where I come from a lot of these come to a lot of these stories from. All right. Okay, all right. so we talked a little bit about us and what we want to do. And fortunately, we're not starting out with John dragging us all through the Trails or Kisaki series, which is going to be quite a slog as far as I know. It's <laughs> not going to be a slog, it's going to be fun, but that's going to be many, 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 many episodes down the row. We are starting with a light and easy one. Yes. First, we are starting with the perfectly straightforward, never complained about uh, plot lines of Kingdom Hearts. Yeah! Love Kingdom Hearts. So, oh, absolutely. So, Kingdom Hearts is... Um, I would call it one of the first really successful experiments as a serialized game franchise where it's it started off 
single idea and it kept building upon itself and it's still running today. Um, we will not we will cover the whole scope of what's already out in the course of this uh, first series. Um, we might end up having to revisit and add to these series later as new games get added to it. But that might be well further down the road because it as this long running series, you can sort of see how Nomura, the director, uh, Tetsuya Nomura's interests have changed over time uh, as he's. Uh, led this series through its many twists and turns. I'd like to kind of touch on why we think our listeners should care about Kingdom Hearts, even if they haven't oh, yeah. experienced it oh, yeah. before. And I think a lot of the reason is simply because of its, I suppose, inexplicable popularity. It is such a weird and out there series, and yet it resonates with people enough that, you know, it has gotten a omnibus PS4 re-release just so people can go back and experience the games in order to be prepared for Kingdom Hearts 3. It's I, I can't think of too many other games that have that kind of cult following that an omnibus re-release is actually necessary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just want to take a moment here. I want you to imagine you were the person who approved this game and what you must have heard. <laughs> okay, so, you know, it's Square. Everyone knows Square. They're making a new RPG. Okay. The main characters are going to be all from Disney's properties. Okay. Disney. Our main character is going to be the original character who hangs out with Donald Duck and Goofy the dog. Okay, so you got some Final Fantasy and some Disney representation there. I got it. I mean, no, that's going to come later when I start randomly adding Final Fantasy characters as filler NPCs. <laughs> Okay, okay. And that's let's not forget that there's a whole bunch of Disney villains, but they're not actually the problem. The problem is like I've made my own Final Fantasy villain OC and I've stuffed them in the in the back half of the game. Right. And, and we're gonna spend most of the time of the of the uh, game going through different going through different Disney worlds and just kind of half assedly telling their story. <laughs> okay. Now now how much money how you can I put you down for as an investor? Five hundred million dollars. And that's a lot in 2000 money. <laughs> and surprisingly, it appears to have worked. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm joking because I don't know the actual budget for Kingdom Hearts, but I know it was very, very large because they had Disney money behind them. Yep. Um, so the as I recall, the actual origin of it was uh, Square Enix. And, well, not, I think it was just Square Soft at the time. They hadn't bought Enix yet. Uh, Squaresoft was sharing an office building with uh, Disney of Japan. And there was this one moment where two executives were riding an elevator together, one from Square Enix and one from Disney, and they basically just said, hey, we should do a crossover. Yeah, we should. That is actually an amazing origin story. I didn't know about that one. um, And so they they gave the they gave the project to uh, then character designer Tetsuya Nomura, um, who gained what? who gained most of his fame designing the characters in Final Fantasies seven and eight, was fam- already was already famed even at the time as being a J Rock fan obsessed with uh, that type oh, yeah. of very distinct visual key style. I kind of feel visual like pain. Nomura is right, very pain. much the how to say the successor to Amano from the SNES era of Final Fantasy. So, yeah, Amano did a lot of character and monster designs in the original Final Fantasies, and then he sort of got, like, pushed back and was more just a, well, occasionally ask you to do some illustrations. 
we don't need you for actual character designs anymore. Uh, they needed a more simple character design for Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> because of the polygonal characters, uh, they wanted more simple character designs that could be very easily recognizable because they didn't quite have the technology figured out yet to render better detailed characters. And turns out Tetsuya Nomura's very anime-esque art style uh, fit that goal perfectly. And I think what I can say about Tetsuya Nomura is that he has a very good eye for fashion and an e even better eye for distinctive anime character designs. So Nomura was put in charge of the plot for this one as well, not just the character designs, however. Yeah, he, and well, he got he uh, enlisted the help of uh, scenario writer Kazushige Nojima, I think his name was. Yes. Uh, Kazushige Nojima, who uh, was also the uh, scenario writer on Final Fantasy VIII. And as well as a co-writer, sort of the Unit B writer on Final Fantasy Advent Children. He's mm -hmm. kind of a regular collaborator and perhaps filterer of, of Nomura. Like, right. Nomura, this is completely conjecture on our part, but Nomura always feels a bit like the idea man. Well, Nojima is the nuts and bolts writer, the workhorse. Yeah, I like to think of Nojima as the Nomura whisperer, the one who can actually translate Nomura's crazy ideas into text as best as possible. I mean, so Final Fantasy VIII's story is not directly from Nomura. It's actually from Yoshinori Kitase. Um, but Noji you can still see a lot of Nojima's work, both in the fabric of Final Fantasy VIII and throughout all of Kingdom Hearts. And VIII's, and for good or bad, is definitely the game that cemented the Nomura-likes-belts idea. Yep. <laughs> so... I think so basically, they gave the Nomura... Well, well, ten had the had the belt dress. <laughs> yes. So Nomura was was handed the reins of this game, and and basically somewhere between legend and interviews say that he was thinking of making a simple game, like I clearly like just make a Disney license. Mm -hmm. But but then he was given advice uh, on perhaps to not do that. He was no. He was specifically from, given from, advice from no person lesser than Hironobu Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy. Who is would be soon be on his way out after cert, after certain disagreements with the company, but at this time was still the head of Square. Mm -hmm. um, and his basic advi advice to Nomura was, make it more Final Fantasy. And if, and also that if you don't make anything out of it, people aren't going to care. Right. And so that's how Kingdom Hearts transformed from just a goofy Disney crossover. Uh, RPG into the Disney RPG that also has a Final Fantasy crossover at the start. And and that's basically, you know, that's just the start. Everyone at this point in time, if you're even passingly familiar with the series, you know how many games there are. Three numbered games, a very large number of, of, of unnumbered games, and just this reputation being a sprawling, difficult to understand, multi-line storyline. However, I will I'm going to make this promise to you, dear listeners. Kingdom Hearts is extremely easy to understand. <laughs> All you need to know is that in order to understand it, you have to be playing it. <laughs> yes, we do. We do encourage listeners, especially if you have not played it to kind of, you know, play through with us, you know, maybe play play uh, just before uh, you play through the appropriate uh, section of the game just before we end up covering it, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, the 
the reputation that Kingdom Hearts has as being incomprehensible is almost entirely derived from people taking a look at the series from a long distance and saying, okay, so where does the story begin? And you say the story, if you want to go chronologically, the story starts in the third, uh, in the, um, fifth game, in the fifth game. At that point, any person who was at a sort of a level uncertain, uncertain thing is going to say, what? And just probably start shutting down listening. So what you need to do to understand Kingdom Hearts is you start from Kingdom Hearts one. Then you play Chain of Memories or watch the cutscenes of Chain of Memories. Then you I, then you play King, then you play Kingdom Hearts 2. Then you watch the cutscenes for 358 over two days. <laughs> then you play Birth by Sleep. Then you watch the cutscenes from Coded. Then you play Dream Drop Distance. Then you play uh, Birth by Sleep Passage. Fragmentary Passage. Uh, then you watch uh, the back cover key. Uh, movie and then you play Kingdom Hearts 3 and if you do that you will understand Kingdom Hearts I guarantee in other words it is exactly the order that that they recommend in the games that came out chronologically and also you'll learn to count in the most confusing way possible yep 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 yep. so so like let's let's just talk about why there are barriers to get into Kingdom Hearts as a series for many people I think I think the first big barrier is the obtuse world building in Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts is extremely anime. Yeah. Not only that, though, like um, the it's not so much trying to create a coherent world as it is trying to create a coherent uh, cosmology that it puts a bunch of Disney worlds into. The cosmology might not always seem coherent, but it actually does sort of make sense when you go along with it. And even more importantly, though, Kingdom Hearts is driven by character motivations, not by lore. That is the most important thing to understand. The lore in Kingdom Hearts is actually only two or three steps removed from Star Trek Psychobabble. It has theoretical meaning, but it's kind of filling a space, Mm -hmm. though they do give yourself more consistency and a functional vocabulary, as Mm -hmm. opposed to Star Trek, which literally would write tech in its its script, as, as many might know. Right. I personally really like a lot of the lore and world building of Kingdom Hearts, mm-hmm. but I do feel that it is not important well, to understanding anyone's motivations except for the villains. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, what lore is there actually is very good for helping you understand the motivations of a good number of characters, especially a certain big group of very popular villains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I feel, I kind of feel like the big issue with the world building that happens is that a lot of it gets kind of philosophical and thinking about pretty esoteric topics. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a very esoteric story in general. And Kingdom Hearts wants you to think about the value of friendships that pers- that persist over time, about the meaning of having a heart in a, in a metaphysical, philosophical way, mm-hmm. of what it means to be aligned with light and darkness and the good and bad of both. Um, how group, how people form tight-knit groups in order for social interaction, and a dozen other ideas, which could be uh, signed up um, rather rather uncharitably as being endless friendship speeches. Mm-hmm. In, in a lot of later things, it goes into very different sorts of philosophical ideas, like about how memories make us and how those relate to friendship. 
mm-hmm. and how I how identity works and how that relates to memory and friendship as well. It, you get a lot of stuff about friendship because at its core, you can think of Kingdom Hearts as essentially a big overblown shonen series. Yeah. It, that's probably the best way to think about it, actually. And yet, and yet, at the same time, it's also a Disney movie with all the interconnected and slightly unusual mixes that those two influences have on each other. And, and one of the things that we hope to tackle uh, for helping overcome this barrier is um, we want to point out that, hey, in the moment, this is a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool things that you can point out that are kind of goofy and, and weird that will just like enhance your experience if you just think about it like, huh, that's funny. I like that. And we kind of come to the fact that Kingdom Hearts has a bit of a cringe factor reputation. So, yeah, that's the, that's the second barrier is that like if you tell someone that you are playing Kingdom Hearts and they are kind of like, wait, really? The Disney RPG? You kind of already have an idea of who you're talking to. Someone who is like, a bit put off by the idea of either the Disney stuff, the Disney side of it, which would mean that they're put off by the kitty side of it, or they're put off by the final fantasy side of it, which means they're put off by anime or shonen tropes or stuff like that. And that, and truth be told, yes, all that is in kingdom hearts. Embrace it. Yes. Our, our solution is to embrace the cringe. Like it kingdom hearts wears its emotions on its sleeve. And I would say that, because of that sincerity, that's why Kingdom Hearts works. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I think we're going to return a lot to in our discussions that I think a lot of Western media nowadays is kind of infected by cynicism to mm-hmm. an extreme degree. Oh, yeah. And it's really refreshing to see something like Kingdom Hearts, which doesn't have an ounce of cynicism in its entire body of work. Mm-hmm. It's just complete. Uh, genuineness and eagerness to kind of share these ideas with you about the power of friendship and simply believing in your friends Mm -hmm. is going to get you through these really epic problems. I mean, and the, the third barrier is that Kingdom Hearts is a kind of a gappy series because it's clearly working what it wants to be as it goes. It's testing everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kingdom Hearts will take the time to so it it has a core feel to its main games, but in every single side game, it's going to be experimenting with new gameplay systems. Sometimes you feel like it works. Sometimes you grit your teeth and just fight your way through it. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a of of an interesting pattern because, you know, the first game is kind of a test bed for what they want to do with this whole thing. But then as we go on, we find that the. Portable side games are kind of, you know, each one of them is a test bed that is like, do we want to do this in the main game of Kingdom Hearts? Do we want to explore these same narratives? Do we want to explore these same mechanics? And each one of them feels very, very different. Uh And And it turns out that the stuff that works ends up making its way into the mainline Kingdom Hearts games. Yes, Um, that's the that's sort of like the key thing is a game like Chain of Memories uh, has a lot of story expansion and some mechanical expansion. And it keeps a lot of the story expansion and it drops all the mechanical expansion because I think they realize that the mechanics don't quite work. Sorry, but with Birth by Sleep and uh, Dream Drop Distance, uh, they experiment with a different system as well. And things from those systems that do work show up in Kingdom Hearts 3. 
And I think it's a long way off, but I think Kingdom Hearts 3 is probably the best overall package of the series. Yeah, I really like the fact that they're willing to self-reflect and also separate mechanics from narratives Mm -hmm. to kind of improve their formula as they go on. Yeah. You know, Kingdom Hearts 3 is still recognizable as the same very gross blueprint as Kingdom Hearts 1, but all of the details on it are much more polished and there's a lot of extra stuff tacked onto it in a very good way. And they did this through a genuine process of kind of self-reflection of how the, how each game was received and how it played. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's the series as a whole. Um so how did so the first before we go into just like talking about Kingdom Hearts one itself, just what people can expect from this first season. Uh, what was everyone's experience first getting into Kingdom Hearts and how they experienced it in whole? I mean, well, for myself, by the time Kingdom Hearts came out, I was a teenager. Now, I'm definitely a big animation fan, never really been pushed off. It never got to a point where I felt like it wasn't cool to be so, whatever. I wasn't cool in any way anyways. <laughs> so I played the first one soon after it came out. My family's always been slow getting game systems, so I think there was a slight delay. And then I, since I had the PS2, I then played the second one that came out. I hadn't played Chain of Memories, so some of the opening plot confused me, and something about it at my mindset at the time was a little frustrated with two. So I was hope- looking forward to three. When they started making side games, I just like felt like I couldn't be bothered. And that's kind of where I was for years and years until we got to this point. Matt, how about you? For me, I played Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 very near release. I liked 1, but 2 is where I really got into the series. And it was so much that when I first got into it, I actually doodled fan art of myself as a nobody when I was a teenager. That's and I almost wrote fanfic of you know, involving rogue nobodies and stuff like that. And yes, I am that much of a nerd. After that, I've steadily consumed the side material at my own pace, but I ended up doing a full series recap before playing Kingdom Hearts 3 because, you know, you kind of need it after how long it's it's been. So my experience is kind of the same. Um, I pretty much only played Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 on the PlayStation 2. I borrowed Kingdom Hearts 1 from a friend, and then I bought Kingdom Hearts 2 for myself when I was in college. And I found myself going, even though I had the platforms that I could play the side games on, I found myself going, I don't want to bother with those side games. And then I learned that Kingdom Hearts 3 sort of requires a lot of knowledge from these other games. (laughs) And so so when Kingdom Hearts 3 finally became enough of a real thing that... I was like, okay, that is actually has a real release date. Can I finish the entire Kingdom Hearts series before that game comes out? So I started a two-month process in the November before Kingdom Hearts 3 came out, doing an entire series binge. And I, yes, indeed, I completed every single bit of Kingdom Hearts that was on the PS4 compilations in the build-up to Kingdom Hearts 3. Yep. A funny thing that happened on the way through that is that I came in, at the start, and I was just like, okay, yeah, I kind of dig Kingdom Hearts. I think it's kind of interesting. At the end of it, I was an absolute obsessed fan of it. Like, I adore this series to no end. And I really, really hope to convey that love to everyone else as uh, we go through this podcast. Yep. So I think that comes to our, what we want to kind of let listeners expect what we want to talk about when we actually go through this series. 
So our first season is a bit rough as we're still all sort of figuring this out. This is our first podcast attempt, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're still learning all the ins and outs of recording and editing and all that. Hopefully, by the time you get to the end of this season, we'll sound a lot more polished and clean than the uh, first episode will. In just the first half dozen episodes, several of us upgrade our recording equipment. We learn a few tricks there and we adjust how we do saving there. I, I expect it will still sound in many ways very new to it, but I do feel we've already improved by leaps and bounds. And we kind of change our strategy partway through. And by adding what I think is probably the most fun thing we're doing is where we start really getting in about halfway through the first game into dramatic readings. Yes. <laughs> Pull up the script, we assign each other characters, and we read the important moments ourselves. And, like, and in the whole, I would say I think Kingdom Hearts in general is a very good first discussion just because it is not particularly dense, but it is just weird enough that you can dig into some really cool stuff. Yep. It, it's both loved and it still has this hostile story reputation. And so we kind of want to break it down into digestible pieces and help people get into it mm -hmm. or even just, you know, discuss something we love with other people who love the same series as well. Part of the point of our podcast is both to, both to share the love of these series with people who are already into it, but also to hopefully get new people into these things as well. We would mm -hmm. like to establish a bit of trust that, you know, we have good taste in games. And when we say something is good and you shouldn't experience it, you know, maybe you might go out and do it. Yep. And finally, uh, at the end of every game, uh, every big game, I should say, there will be some times where we'll do small uh, one shots of things that don't quite deserve a full uh, season on season. Uh, we also will take some time to unwind and do what we like to call a mini log where we will do a single one-shot episode discussing something else that's in our backlog as sort of a palate cleanser. Uh, we feel like this is both, one, interesting to you, and two, connects well enough to the themes of the season that we thought, okay, yeah, we can include a discussion about that in here. And I don't want to talk about what our first mini-log is. Yeah. Uh, you'll hear it when we get to it. Uh, that'll be about nine episodes away. As, as we reach the end of Kingdom Hearts 1, we will then go on to the first law before we go on to the Kingdom Hearts game after that. Yep. And so and so our next season after that will be the next uh, arc of Kingdom Hearts, if you will. Are we going to call each uh, each game a season or are we going to? So here's the general structure that I have um, in mind. We will divide backlog dialogues into series and seasons. A series is a full set of seasons that are all connected by one uh, meta franchise. And then within that, we'll have multiple seasons game. for each game or arc within that series. And each at the end of each of those seasons, that's when we'll do a mini log. So that's the overall structure that we have in mind. We have after Kingdom Hearts, we already have two other series that we want to get to. And then from there, we'll see what else we want to do. We've planned way far out in the future and we hope we can make it there. And so we hope you'll stick with us through all that. Yep. I mean, this is partially a personal project. If we get any people viewing and liking our our podcast, that'd be great. But part of it is that we're just having fun discussing with with mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. And hopefully that shows and makes the podcast more interesting for viewers as well. Yeah. And hopefully it uh, is a positive enough experience that people are happy to pick up these games on their own and uh, can join us in not having to worry about bumping into a toxic fandom.
Yeah, we're, we're going to do a mix of both things that are already popular, but also things that we like that are a little bit more obscure and mm -hmm. we would like to promote to other people as well. Yep. We I, hope to make some of the things we like popular. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> great. That is a great ambition for a Z-list podcast like us to have. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we I think we're going to focus a lot on, you know, games of various different sizes, too. We're going to talk about AAA games. We're going to talk about indie games. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about games that were made by one person and helpers. We're going to talk about games that are made by huge teams. We're going to talk about animes. We're going to be talking about visual novels. We might talk about uh, movies uh, as well. Just any kind of interesting geek ephemera that we like, we hope to talk about in the course of this podcast. Yep. And when we're very excited to get started with this, we hope to see you come along with us. And so thank you for sticking with us through what we've been calling the hype episode. Yeah, yeah. And so until next time, I'm John. I'm Jared. And I'm Matt. And remember, a good story is best enjoyed with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlogdialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release.